I'm Siham Cyrene, and you are here for Better Conversations. Right now, you're in their home. Occasionally, like I've had children run in, and you get, oh, sorry, oh, don't worry, I've got kids as well. And you, you, have, you have an opportunity to build rapport that may lead to a relationship, right? How much more are you going to get out of that? How much more can you ask them a question in that environment? I, de- I defy a salesperson to ask a difficult question, and difficult questions are the ones you want to be earning the rapport to be able to ask, because they're the ones that help you and the customer define whether you should be working together, and also set the scene of, actually, if you can handle difficult questions together, you are building towards a relationship because you've got that equity to ask that question. Don't, good luck doing it on email. Five questions I'd like to ask you about your project. Why are you doing this? It comes across, it doesn't come across friendly. I can put tonality on it and go, Dave, Sue, um, hope I haven't misunderstood here, but from what I'm hearing, I'm a bit confused. And can I ask you a challenging question, which will help me understand better, right? I can do that on a call like that with you, and you can feel the tone, you can see their faces often. You can feel, together feel it out that we can do this i defy anyone to do that on a communication on email good luck because it will come across as rude while we're gifted with speech conversations really good conversations don't happen as much as we'd like in this podcast my guest and i deep dive into all the corners of what makes a conversation awkward and uncomfortable or warming and memorable My guest today is Ian Moyes. Ian is the EMEA sales director for Natterbox, and he sat on the boards of a number of industry bodies, including the Federation Against Software Theft, Cloud Industry Forum, and EuroCloud. And he also works as a non-exec advisor to uh, numerous other organizations. He was awarded the accolade of British Excellence in Sales Management, uh, UK Sales Director of the Year, and in 2019 was listed in the top 50 sales keynote speakers by the top sales world. Ian is also a social influencer for a growing number of leading global technology brands, and there'll be contact details for in the post for this uh, episode. I'm really looking forward to this conversation. It's going to be around sales. Welcome, Ian. Sam, how are you doing? Uh, Good to be here. Thank you. My pleasure. So I get to talk to people about conversations in many different contexts. You're probably the first person I'm talking to specifically around sales. How has sales or how have sales conversations changed in the last six months for you? It's been an interesting time for us all, right? So I think sales is the easiest one to adjust to the environment. Certainly field sales, there's different roles, right? But field sales, salespeople out on the road or meeting customers, this is going to be one of the easiest changes we've seen for our individual roles, but there's a consequence and I'll come on to because a lot of us have worked remotely before. We were were, just not extended. So often you'd have salespeople who would be uh, one day a week they'd work at home or 
four days a week they'd work at home if they went out with customers because they were remote from the office. They were regionally based, for example. They'd come into the head office one day a week sort of thing. So working remotely, in, whether it be at home or in coffee shops or anywhere, it sort of comes with the, uh, the moniker of the road warrior, so to speak, in sales. But I think the challenge has been for sales is the rest of the business, certainly at the instigation of the sudden working from home period, because we rely on as salespeople. It, it isn't just you as, as the individual that makes everything happen for the customer. You are the, you're typically the front interface for that customer, but you rely on accounts, you rely on the legal team, you rely on the support team, the infrastructure, the admin, the ops, or, or all the other parts of your business. What makes that customer relationship work? And they weren't used to working from home en masse. So for the sales role, the big change I saw wasn't in the customer facing one for a field salesperson, but was looking back into is you being an internal customer. Because suddenly you didn't just ping someone in the office or if you, even if you were remote, you couldn't just call in and go, yeah, who, who's in accounts at the moment? You'd call into a group, right? That's the way people call companies. You don't typically call, or you'd call an individual at their desk but did you have all the mobile numbers? And often accounts or other departments, it's their own personal mobile, right? Which you're not used to using. How often have you had to phone an accounts person at home or finance? It's not the norm. So that was the challenge, I think, is in adjusting that for you as a salesperson to do your job, the business behind you that's backing you and enabling you to be successful, that just changed. Has that made things faster or slower or just it's a period of adjustment? Where are we at with that, do you think? So I think in the early stage, it made it a bit messy because it was, well, well, what do you do? Suddenly, you can't, you can't just get hold of someone. How do you get hold of them? Would you, you drop them an email and array, can, can you give me a call? Can we speak? Because you didn't have everyone in the business's mobile number on your phone. Certainly in large organisations, that's just not practical, right? You probably don't even know in a large corporate organisation who you, account, you have an accounts division. So it, it just changed initially of how do we get back to being working quickly? So for us, that involved more use of tools we had. We already had Slack. We spun up Google Hangouts to, to go with our Google suite and suddenly f- figuring out, okay, how do we get, get everyone in these directories and just changed how we communicated quickly. And we had to because you, your business doesn't stop right overnight. Now, some businesses, unfortunately, were stopped in their tracks in the nature of the vertical market they're in. But in every way possible, you want to be there for the customer. and You need to pivot during such a, such a change to continue business as normal as you possibly can for the outwardly facing customer to give you the best chance to continue to be successful and trade. So we pivoted very quickly by using tools and then worked out processes, regrouped people and did daily hangouts within each team. So we quickly pivoted to how do we keep the internal conversation going? And I know you'll probably talk about the external, but I think the internal conversation, firstly, was the hardest one to get going because your customers initially are all in the same boat. So I think, and I've spoken about this many a time over the last six months, when this first hit and we all had to work from home, customers' tolerance level, I think all of us are customers in some way, our tolerance levels were there. If you phoned a business you would have expected some level of disruption, some level of pain, because mm-hmm. you've just gone through it. If you do it today, six months or so in, I don't think we're all very tolerant because everyone's had time to adjust and we've worked out, we want to just get on with our lives as best we can. 
we expect to be able to phone up a company, to phone up and get someone to fix your boiler, to phone up. I had a locksmith in at one point. Um, you know, you need the world doesn't stop, but it's operating in a different format. So the conversations still need to continue, both inwardly and ex exwardly, to, exwardly if that's the word, outwardly from your company. And we've had a period of time to adjust both people, you know, to, uh, people getting to grips with how do I do this now, processes, and also the technology. All three had to somehow adjust to enable you to keep the conversation going because the world's got to keep going, right? It's not a case that we can all sit back and wait till it all go, bl blows over. Probably initially, I think there was a phase when people thought that, well, we'll make do, we'll get something working and then we'll make do for a little period because this won't last long. Then the second phase sat in where actually it's going on a bit longer than we thought, but all right. And now we've all realized we don't know how long this is going to go on for and what the new norm is. Well, and for, for some organizations, it's, it's, likely permanent, right? Now, I mean, we are going to talk about sales conversations specifically, but I think you raise a really, really important aspect of, you know, the internal workings working better. And I wonder whether there are some things that actually now work much better than they did before, because people are maybe it's quicker to reach people, but then there may be some other challenges about the fact that it's not a pick up the phone and, and have a quick chat conversation. What are your thoughts about that? It's been a positive in that it's changed a lot of companies' opinions on recruitment because when it was office-based, where your office is sort of defined to a, certainly for the back office people, you're not going to be able to employ. Are you employing the best you can get? Well, what you were doing previously was employing the best you could get within a regional distance that they could get to your office in most cases, right? How many people had their accounts team working at home? How many people had their support team working at home or their contact center, et cetera? Probably not. The people they let work at home were ones where the role sort of made sense to do so. I've got a salesman in Scotland, therefore they cover the Scottish region and our offices in London. Well, they can't commute every day. So just by the nature of it, it comes together. I think what this has driven is more understanding in companies of actually this could work. This remote first type approach could work. Now that means if I'm recruiting someone for the payroll team or whatever it is, where previously I'd have said they need to be physicality wise within a regional office, do we need that anymore? Can I recruit better from someone in a different location in the country? Do, how often mm -hmm. do we need to physically be together? Now we're all using video conference. We're all in the same boat, whether we live around the corner from each other. You know, four of our team live in Berkshire near me um, across different teams in our business. But we're not seeing each other because of the rules of COVID and all the rest of it. So does it make any difference that we're local or not? It doesn't. So I, feel, I think it has turned to a, an advantage there. I think the challenge it's given businesses is how they manage to know people are being productive because I think the doubt on remote working has always been, but how do I know they're working? How do I know they're available without micromanaging them? Mm -hmm. And that comes down, I think, to tools, you know, that I'm not doing a pitch, but Natalox, that's one of the things we do cloud telephony. And we've seen a lot of businesses suddenly wanting to put a system in that enables them to know the work phone calls that are going on. Can we track, can we have all the data? Can we know that this accounts person at home spent three hours on the phone yesterday, who they who they were on the phone to, et cetera. So we all got visibility in the CRM system of that information. 
Mm -hmm. So it's transparent. We don't have to micromanage it because it self-manages because that individual knows that everything they do is tracked as well. And they shouldn't feel guilty. They shouldn't feel it's big brother because why why shouldn't we have that data? Because it's a value to the business. It gives us insight, for example, into which customers are, which customers don't spend much with us, but take all our time up of our accounts team, for example. So I think it's just working differently. It's like early uh, warning signals, aren't they? Uh, uh, or just early signals that maybe there's a customer that needs more help or that this account needs a little bit of extra attention. And, and also in this work, you need a way to to get the calls. We'll talk about conversations in a second, and I've got some strong opinions of what is a conversation. But if you, you what you don't want to do because of COVID is is lose the conversation. I wrote I, when it first came out. I talked about social distancing shouldn't mean customer distancing, but it is mm. because for a lot of businesses, you couldn't get hold of people. Right? You you got email us, and some today are still doing the same. Email us in your inquiry and we'll add you into a ticketing list and at some point down the line we'll call you back because our people are working from home and we haven't adjusted the processes and the technology to enable us to get to, to enable you to phone into us and then route the call to them because physically all our systems are located around the office mm-hmm. so a lot of businesses have been a uh, customer experience for them has been hampered if not if not absolutely ripped apart based on they were so embedded with old systems and processes that the customer is now suffering six months on and, it, and it's not acceptable. No, uh, there's definitely infrastructure issues there. Let's let's turn our attention to the quality of the conversations then, Ian, because the question that's in my mind as I'm listening to you is, if we're now all remote and relying on tools to reach people, does that mean we have to be better at conversations, whether they are text based or voice so this is this is where one of my bugbears has come so first one is what is a conversation regarding a community when compared to a communication too often i hear people describe and this is is ver, it comes down to the verbiage people use where you'll you'll speak to someone i think of me in my sales role I, if you speak to a salesperson, have you spoken to xyz you know what's going on with xyz Oh, I, I, I chatted with them yesterday. Yeah. Or I had a conversation. I had a conversation with them yesterday. Or I chat, the phrase is easy to say, chatting with them yesterday and this and this and this. And I've learned to, to question that and say, when, when you say chatted, what, what you, you spoke to them. And how many times you get, oh, no, 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 no. I, well, I sent them an email and they responded and we went back and forth a few times. That's not a conversation. <laughs> That's a communication. Mm. A conversation is how we're having now. You can interject. You can hear my tonality. You can hear, you know, if I was if I was really not happy about this, you you can you can get not the words. You know, I said it there, but just from the tonality, you can gauge things that you cannot do in an email. It's, and it's very easy for people to get angry in an email, right? How many times people listening to this have had some conversation, customer support, customer whatever where the customer is an angry email and how do you handle that when you respond with an email well i'd suggest you want to change what i call change the channel because if it looks like they're angry there i the first thing i across my career if someone's coming across frustrated they're not getting what they want whatever, is get them on a the phone because more often than not when a human's being is having a conversation 
they don't react that way, right? How many people in restaurants? How's your meal? Oh, it's not good. This food's horrible, right? What waiter comes up? Uh, how's your meal? Oh, it's, it's fine. It's okay. <laughs> people avoid, don't like confrontation, right? But it's easy to be a keyboard warrior. We see it on social media all the time. The example I give is if you're walking down the street and, and you someone walks towards you, you don't physically bump into them, right? You shuffle, you might shuffle each way, but it turns into a joke of sorry. You both say sorry because you both went the same way. If that's in a car, the anger level goes through the roof overnight because you don't see it as an individual. It's it's it, you know it's not a person you're dealing with. It's this vehicle. We're in a bubble, and uh, yeah, I love that example. In it's one I use um, <laughs> a great deal um, of how how much more colourful our language can get when we're in a car because we can. Uh, they can't hear us. There are no consequences other than we let them know how angry they or upset they made us and, and we drive on. But it does this reluctance to pick up the phone. Why do you think that is? Well, I think for, firstly, you're in your home environment. Right now, people have been put in their home environment and it's very easy. There's, I'm going to go through a plethora of things here. Right? There's a number of things. One is people tend to respond on the channel something comes in. How many times you switch the channel? So if you get if you get an SMS text today on your phone, I will take a bet, and there's logic to it, you, you'll reply as an SMS. If you get an email, you'll reply as an email. If you get a Slack message, you reply as a Slack. People by default in the majority will reply on whatever you send them. And you can test it, right? Send someone a WhatsApp message, you're not gonna get a text back, you'll get a WhatsApp. It, it's it just it, it's natural. So here's the problem: the minute you get a communication that's inbound from a customer in whatever format it's come, if it's not a phone call, the chances are you're going to respond to them in that medium. So email is, is a big one. So you'll respond to them on email because it feels natural. But how many people stop themselves, look at it, and go, actually, this would be better dealt with in a different way? So I, I consciously, I, I'm guilty as well, right? It, it's it's habit. It's easy. I'm guilty. And what I do now is I consciously stop myself. And I found myself doing it many times in the past week where there's a Slack message, there's three or four people in the group, and there's something posted. And I start to respond. And I've looked and got and stopped myself halfway through typing it of, yeah, but hang on a minute. Have I understood what they're saying correctly there in that conversation? Are they all going to understand? Am I going to, they going to understand what I'm putting back now? Or am I going to have to explain it upon explain it? Why don't we just spin up a quick call, guys? Spin up a quick call. and I think people are reluctant to that because often people aren't there for the call. Right? You can communicate. I can send you an email. So I mean, you're in a meeting or you're not available and it's off my plate onto yours. But I've done my bit. Whereas if I phone you and you're not there, still on my action list, right? I might, mm -hmm. Or do I leave a message? Or It's, it's not dealt with. It's, it's wanting, wanting to get things off their plate. But it's the easy method. So there is all of the different communication methods have their place. There is nothing wrong with email. So, for example, we speak, we have a conversation. Let's say we have a conversation about commercials and how we might structure those for your budget and your time, whatever. And and, and we, we that's a conversation because I could say, well, Sam, why why do you need it that way? Okay, but if I could do that, but not this, would that be more important or this? Right, that's a conversation. It makes sense. But at the end. I may send a communication to confirm my understanding of that conversation and the points that I think we concluded on so that you can then confirm back absolutely you've captured them correctly. Email has its place. Slack has its place. 
All of these communications have their place at the right time. But two things. One is don't think of communication as a conversation. And two, be prepared to change the channel where deemed appropriate for a better outcome. And those are the two things I think people aren't doing enough of that is leading them to more and more electronic communication. Yeah, I love that, Ian. It's uh, stopping to think what's the better approach here. And too often what I see certainly is an over-reliance on, I'm completely echoing what you're saying, an over-reliance on electronic forms of communicating because that's where it started. Um, But also knowing the limitations of the platform. The platform wasn't designed to have a complex discussion or a conversation. It was, you know, a lot of Slack and so on are designed for quick exchange and knowledge share and information sharing, not to really nut out the details or, you know, get the alignment or figure out what the problem is or problem solve in a really effective way that also, you know, is efficient because picking up the phone is more efficient sometimes. And you can resolve something much quicker than the to and fro, right, of, of an email exchange or a chat exchange. Yeah. Why, why do 10 emails when one email, one, one phone conversation and one email to f- confirm it might be the same? So you coach teams in sales. When you're talking to them, we've talked around, you know, the process and the sequence of things and what you might do next and where, you know, where uh, electronic exchange works to capture what's agreed and so on. What about the conversation itself? What does a really good conversation with a prospect or a customer look like or sound like? For me in sales, these are the basics, but non-sales people may not have ever come across these. But number one is you have two ears, one mouth. So translates into listen a bit more than you speak. Mm Mm-hmm. Because too often, I think the sales environment, you know, sales hasn't been seen as a, sales gets a bad tarnish because whereas it should be seen as a qualified profession, which which some bodies that I'm part of are, are trying to profess for, that there are certifications and, you know, it is a profession, but it's seen as people pitching. Let me tell you how fantastic this is. Boom, 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 boom. And, and that part of sales still exists out there, but isn't it more interesting when it's a true conversation, not someone telling you all this stuff, asking you questions. So I, I remember a, a customer, and if they listen to this, they'll know who they are, but about six or seven years ago, and I always use this one because, and you'll see why, prime example, I use this in coaching, where uh, the individual came into our office, quite a, quite a reasonable size company and opportunity for us, came in to meet with us. On, and on our request, because I said, well, why don't you come and meet with us? You get a better feel for us as people rather than we just treat this as a transaction and we had i think we had about two hours or so and we didn't even show them our product okay that's what he wanted i want to come down to get a feel for you and see where this fits to start off whether you're in the in the mix for our business and we sat down we had to get your coffee and we asked questions and said well, what why why are you doing this help me understand why you're even doing a project okay and then another question and based on what we got we were listening to the answers and questioning and probing and more so and but why why wouldn't you do that why would you do etc 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 why when if what we spent two hours and at the end this is the this is the bit that i learned from the individual looked at us and went do you know what I, we've run out of time but this has been really interesting because the other two or three i, th- I can't remember if it was two or three but it's several they'd already met 
The first thing they did was whacked up PowerPoint and talked about them. Then they got into a demo to show how wonderful they were and how big all these wondrous customer names they had. You, I feel exhausted. I feel exhausted, but you've asked me questions I don't know the answer to that they didn't even ask. And you've challenged me. I've got to think about some stuff that, that makes me think about we don't know everything we need to know about this project because you've asked me questions. We we are in rapport, I won't say a relationship, out of that meeting because of the conversation that invoked, right, where I'd argue a lot of uh, people go into a, particularly in sales, show and tell. And that's not a conversation. That is a communication yet again of here's a load of information. Now that fits in the sale at some point, but not how how are you doing this morning? Great. Let me show you how great we are and why you should buy us. Well, I don't even know whether. So I position people. We don't, I don't know if we're the best solution for you, but we'd like to find out and spend some time finding out. And if we think we are in that finding out, we'll both learn that naturally. We'll progress along the way in the conversation because you build build rapport. It's the old people buy from people, right? Now, if you're if you're avoiding conversations, particularly in sales, well, how are you going to build rapport? You don't build relationship. You don't build rapport over email. You can. It's not the same. You, you're not, and particularly now with the videos that were going on, most of us are on these video calls on Zoom, on Hangouts, on Microsoft Teams or whatever platform. You're getting to see the individual, and more often than not, I find people have their cameras on, if you have your camera on, certainly. And more. And I've even challenged a few people, said, I hope you don't mind, I can't, I can't see your camera at the moment, knowing that it looks like it's turned off. Oh, yeah, I've got to, it'd be great to see you. If, if, you're, if, if you're comfortable to, and most people turn it on, you're in their home. Right now, you're in their home. Occasionally, like I've had, children run in and you get, oh, sorry, oh, don't worry, I've got kids as well. And you, you, ha you have an opportunity to build rapport that may lead to a relationship that you, you, you right? How much more are you going to get out of that? How much more can you ask them a question in that environment? I, de I defy a salesperson to ask a difficult question and difficult questions are the ones you want to be earning the rapport to be able to ask because they're the ones that help you and the customer define whether you should be working together and also set the scene of actually if you can handle difficult questions together you are building towards a relationship because you've got that you know equity to ask that question don't good luck doing it on email five questions i'd like to ask you about your project why are you doing why are you doing this it comes across it doesn't come across friendly i can put tonality on it and go Dave, Sue, um, hope I haven't misunderstood here, but from what I'm hearing, I'm a bit confused. I'm a bit confused. And can I ask you a challenging question, which will help me understand better, right? I can do that on a call like that with you, and you can feel the tone, you can see their faces often. You can feel together, feel it out that we can do this. I defy anyone to do that on a communication on email. Good luck. Because it will come across as rude. No, absolutely. It does. And I've enjoyed just listening to you there because um, I've spent a bit of time working with sales teams, probably not to the extent that you have uh, in your career, but um, certainly enough to have observed that there's a tendency to talk at people. And there's also a nervousness that I think goes with that sort of meeting, meeting a, a potential client and, uh, and where to start. And it takes some comfort and confidence in yourself to be able to just relax and focus on the individual rather than getting set up and getting a PowerPoint presentation so, you know, that tendency 
to talk at people and tell them how wonderful the product is before you've even before you've got permission <laughs> to talk about your product um, before you've established or you talk about rapport to me that's that's trust right that's that's um, you understand my problem you I can see through your line of questioning that you understand this space and to to that example that you gave you made um, that guy think harder about uh, his situation. And that's incredibly valuable for anyone, really. I work with leaders, so it's, it's very much about how do, you, how do you influence. And you can't influence if you don't have permission to talk about how great your product is. Uh, you have to build up to that. Um, when I join a company, the first thing is you don't know, necessarily know the product or service, right? And when I joined this business three and a half years ago, I didn't know telecoms. I know it's cloud and stuff, whatever, but I've been doing this a long time. And I was offered, well, I'll jump on calls with you. Yeah, but there was this doubt of, yeah, but you don't you don't know much about the stuff. So, yeah, but I know how to talk to people. I may not know the answers, but I can ask questions. Get me on a call. I, and if you become adept enough at handling questions, you can use those questions to get the customer talking and learn information Come off that call, really valuable call, learning a lot. Customer feels engaged with you. But the fact I didn't know if they're going to, you know, the fear of not knowing, well, yeah, I don't know all the features, functions, and all the bits and bobs we can do. But I'm, what, I'm not going to tell them that. Why am I telling them that? I'm, I'm going to ask them loads of questions. What are you trying to do? Why? If I come away with all that information, I can come back to them again. Oh, we've run out of time. Well, I'll tell you what, I've learned a lot. Thank you about your business and where you're heading. What I'd like to do, if I may, we'll have a follow up call. But let me let me look at the notes I've taken. Let me confirm them back to you for clarity so you can say, yes, I accurately captured them. And then when you've done that, I will come back to you with if there's any areas of red flags where we don't think we're good for you, but where we are strong. And then we can have another conversation around it. Right. I didn't need to know anything about the product to have that conversation. I, all I needed to do was be adept to understanding the structure of a conversation and how to frame questions. You don't even need to know the detail of your product to ask the question, because I'm not going to say do you need this particular function? I'm going to say, how do you want your customer experience to look? What would you like it to be like? What isn't it doing today? What have you seen in others that you've liked, that you really want to do? What's your outcome you're trying to get? Question, question. And they'll tell you stuff. And what they tell you inevitably will lead to, if you listen to another question. Well, it's interesting you said you really want to do that. What, why do you want to do it that way? Out of interest. Not saying it's good or bad, but I'm just curious. What, what made you, what led you to that decision that that's the way you want to do it? You don't want to take calls from customers under that value. And you want to put them to a call center or we want to do that. Whatever it is, it's questions again. It's easy. If, you, if you're armored with, I'm happy answering questions and listening, active listening, you can jump into court conversations that you're not an expert in and come out of it at the end with more information than the expert got. I love all the examples you gave, Ian. There's a lot of rich stuff in there. And whoever's, you know, listening, there are rich pickings in so many, so many of the examples that you gave. And um, I'm curious to understand from you, are these the kinds of phrases when you're coaching people? Are these the kinds of phrases that they find helpful? And how easily, how easily do they, are they able to adopt them? Well, the, the first thing is the first, the first you should be asking is them, right? Because <laughs> I'm biased, but coached a lot of people over the years, um, and I'm still learning. So I'm not I'm not professing in any way I'm baked. I'm still um, attending training sessions. We're using a coach at the moment who, who talks about language um, and dialect and and how you use language. So it's not clever sales skills. It's 
the words that you use are what influence and how people receive those words. So saying a phrase in, in different ways can have a very different impact on whether you whether you're you know managing the conversation or not. Um, so it's it's down to even down to the words you use, and that's something I'm still learning today, having gone through some of this training work. We've got this ongoing coaching. So, but I think it's one good one good tip I'd give is you know get your calls recorded, so you can listen back to them, and that's for you as an individual, because I I do it and listen back, and, and often there's areas where I think oh. And it's cringy listening to your own voice, I know, right? But when you listen back and, and analyze, critique yourself in thinking, mm, actually, I, what they just said there and the way I answered it, not good. Mm. I, could, I, should have done, I should have asked that in a different way because you learn from it. You do learn from it. And, um, and it's a technique I get um, leaders on my course to do. <laughs> and they, they do cringe at themselves. We all do. But it is the fastest way to learn what worked and to realize also stuff that you missed. If you are able to record both sides of the conversation um, or even just, you know, in a practice role playing, uh, that can be incredibly useful because it makes us realize you know, we, we've got the advantage of being able to listen to how somebody responded to what we just said and whether that landed strong or whether it created a tension that didn't need to be there. That is an incredibly useful technique for sure. Let's take a quick break um, and we'll be back in a couple of minutes. Better conversations. We all want to have them at work. Have you ever felt dread about an upcoming chat with a colleague you needed to have or had that sinking feeling when that meeting didn't go as well as you hoped. When we can provide a safe space in conversation, the other person feels able to open up without fear. As leaders, part of helping our team do their job effectively is to motivate and guide our people to deliver on their goals. And when we have successful conversations, we become more influential encourage deeper collaborations and foster true connection at work. Did you know it's the number one skill that sets the top leaders apart from the rest? That's why we've created a 12-week online course hosted by executive coach Seherm Cyrene, helping you to navigate those tough conversations with skill and compassion. Enroll today at leaderswhocoach.today. So, Ian, I'm interested in someone listening to you and how easy you are in conversation and the phrases and so on. And you clearly, you know, um, show a genuine interest in the people that you're talking to and you've got a curious mind. Who or what has influenced that style of conversation for you? I don't think there's any one, one individual thing, which is the, the cookie cutter thing to give, right, is this individual I observe and listen and, and look and learn across everything. So that comes even from, and I always say this when I'm recruiting um, more junior salespeople is, I'm going to learn from you because we've all been on a different journey. You know, I've been on my journey. I've only got the experiences I've had in the companies I've worked at in the people I've engaged with. They've been on a different journey. So they may have witnessed or seen some technique or approach or way to handle a conversation or situation that I've just not been party of. The same as, and the big example would be, think about this. If, if, you, if you're a police officer and you see different disturbances and things happening, do you think a police officer is likely to have more experience in their armory of how to handle rowdy people, a crowd, 
someone shouting, etc., than you would have as an individual. And it's not because you couldn't do it. It's because you haven't been through the journey they've been through and had the experiences of the same ilk. Would that same police officer in a sales environment be able to handle certain conversations in the way a salesperson would? No, because we've been in different environments and different situations. So that implies that every individual has some value to add. So I, I look and learn and listen. So with my salespeople, if there's a difficult conversation to be had, I don't come into it with, I've got all the answers. What I come into it with is, look, I've got a load of experiences, maybe more than yours because I'm older and been doing it longer. But what, what do you think? What do you think? You've spoken to this individual before. This is my thoughts. And I pre preempt to your, to your thing, not quite role play, but you can pre-discuss a future conversation. Who is better to have the conversation with them? Perhaps it's bad news. We can't deliver on time. Perhaps it's something's changed or whatever it may be, or we're trying to win the business against a competitor and we now need to talk to the procurement team and, oh, my gosh, what's going to happen? You know, who's the better one to have the conversation? Is it better that we have multiple people on it, that someone leads, someone that it, It's pre-thinking it out because there's no right and wrong answer and you, you cannot know exactly how that conversation is going to go, right? can't have the benefit of, of hindsight but what you can do is plan with foresight using experience of okay what do you think what, what do we know how can we best prepare and that's one of the advice advisor advisements i give to salespeople is i over prepare so if we're coming into a conversation i don't five minutes before go right who we're speaking to uh okay and what, what what's that great let's jump on it i will want to know who who are we who's going to be on the call um and what, what, what's their social profile so I, could, so I can have a little look and see, you know, what's their background, learn a little bit about the individuals. Oh, they've, been, they've only been in that role three months. Well, they're going to behave a lot differently than if they've been there 15 years, right? Because they'll be thinking about, uh, well, you know, I've only been here three months. So they might be someone who comes in and goes, no matter what, I know it all. So I'm going to be. But it gives you some context. It also gives you some context to relate to during the conversation. They may say something which is relevant for you to say, oh, I get, so, so, but would you, would you know the pro, so you don't know the process, I'm guessing that's because you may, you may not have done many of these because you've only been there three months, right? Straight away, oh, oh my gosh, they've done their research, they care. So it's little, little things like that. And the beauty of social media is you can, you can do that today and find out. It's not stalking because it's out there. People have posted information about themselves on a public internet website. There is nothing wrong with you looking at it because they put it there. So, I've got to be pre-prepared for conversations because they make them better conversations for you and the customer. You know, so I'll often will spend, it's not been unknown to spend several hours pre-going through who's going to be on it. What have we discussed before? What do we think they want? What's the challenges we think they want? What's the 10 things that we might ask if we were in their shoes? And I've had one recently where I did all that preparation, right? We get on the call and really easy. and We didn't need to do any of the prep. But I said to my team member afterwards is, but I tell you what, if we hadn't done the prep, it would have gone the other way. It would have been the one call we needed the prep for. The fact we did it, customer doesn't feel any, any, any different, but we went into the call more confident that we were prepared for any of these things that may come up to be as professional and prepared on that call as we could. The fact the preparation wasn't needed this time, you, you do 10 calls, you tell me which one it's going to be needed on. You can it makes conversation stronger for both parties if you come into it prepared and you know more.
Oh, you know, uh, love again, music to my ears in it's the the preparation for it. Um, you know, the, that chance to be able to think about stuff, um, you know, with the team, because everyone has a different, maybe bringing different um, competencies or capability to that meeting. Someone may be more technical. Someone may may have a, you know, a, a broader understanding of the market. And everyone has a role to play. If they're going to be there, they have a, a role to play on both sides, right? Both on your side with the sales team and the prospect or client um, on their side and what they need to understand. So being able to know who's going to be there, what their roles are. And equally, are there people on the call that don't need to be there, you know, that maybe create more uh, noise than there needs to be? I think also for many people doing that preparation, people come into conversations to, to the point we discussed earlier where, well, why don't, you know, they're, they're, they do it on email or whatever. Why get on a conversation? Well, often people, I think, avoid a conversation because they feel uncomfortable. Perhaps my knowledge is going to be tested. I'm new to this. I may, oh, maybe maybe I, I'm, I'm going to come across a feeling a bit silly um, or they're, they're expecting the customer to be unhappy with what they're going to tell them or the customer's already unhappy and has said that. People avoid confrontation and avoid things where they feel they're going to be uncomfortable. Um, prep more takes an element of that away and go into it with a positive mind. I've had so many calls where we, across all my careers, uh, where I expected the customer wasn't going to be happy about something or I'd been prepped even worse, even worse. Someone had said, be wary because I've dealt with so-and-so before and, oh, they're, they're going to not going to make it fun for you. They're going to make they're going to give you a hard time. How many people being told that and then come onto that call or, or try and avoid the call or get someone else to do it or can I do it because you don't want confrontation. How many people don't complain in restaurants or don't complain about stuff because they don't want to go up to the counter and say actually this isn't nice. But when you do, how many times have you found the waitress or the the shopkeeper, whatever it is, throw it back in your face? And say, Wow, and be angry at you and shout no. But we 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 create, I think, barriers for ourselves often in conversation. So my advice is prepare and go into it with a positive outcome, thinking this isn't going to be bad. Because I've had several recently which were expected to be negative, and I've come off afterwards debriefed with the individuals Aaron and said, so that was good, wasn't it? What positive call? Because the individuals at the other end, guess what? They weren't the sort either in person to shout and boom. They said, look, we're not happy with X, Y, Z. Great. I appreciate that and I understand why. Um, let's work together to fix this. And then they worked with us and, and we all ended up, and next call, you end up having a smile about it, right? Because you fix it and you know what? bad things happen. You know, it doesn't matter how good you are, doesn't, as a business, as individuals, mistakes happen. Things fall through the cracks in the best of companies with the highest net promoter scores on the planet. It happens. It's how you deal with it. And my advice is deal with it in a human way, in a conversation up front, not electronically, where you're hiding behind something, because that does more damage than facing up to it. Do not be afraid of if you are in the wrong. Firstly, I would like to apologize that this is not how our customer experience normally goes. And we feel we have let you down here and we want to fix it. And we want to have you as a really happy customer looking back on this together, saying that, you know, that that wasn't the norm. And we want to prove that to you. But to have the opportunity to prove that, I do ask that we work together on this. That's all I ask. Will you give me that opportunity? Now, as opposed to an email, perhaps being defensive or, well, what, what's, 
which one's going to get the best reaction out of a prospective or an existing customer. Absolutely. And there's richness, don't you find, Ian, when you've actually explored and solved the problem and you've gone into the weeds of it and figured, you know, figured out a way forward that actually on the other side of that is a deeper relationship and a deeper connection with that person. I, I will always, and, and it's forced myself, is whenever there's potential conflict, force myself to, I will be on that conversation if you want me. Because what's the worst that's going to happen, right? You're not going to lose a leg. You're not going to come out of it in hospital, right? So the worst that's going to happen may be you come out of it, you don't get a good result out of it, but you're not in a good place anyway. If you think you're not in a good place going into it, it can only get better. There's not, But by avoiding it, it's not going to go away. It's not going to fix itself. Face up to it. And I find the human being, in most cases, if you, um, the fact you're willing to jump on a call, I've had people say, do you know what? I'm really glad you, you've taken the time to jump on here because I thought you were, I thought you were going to avoid this. But I'm just the fact you've done it, regardless of the conversation, just the fact you've stumped up and said, I will have a conversation with you. You, you complained on email. Can we jump on a conversation, please? Rather than replying on email, which is the thing they're expecting you to do to a degree. And I do it when I complain about stuff or raise stuff, right? is how, how many times do I, I get a response back in the same format and don't get someone saying, actually, just trying to call me, perhaps. I got your email. I felt it was more important that we had a conversation. Please do. I'll drop you another email now as I've got your voicemail, but please do tell me when it's a good time to have a conversation. I think it will be more beneficial for both of us to um, help each other come to a resolution. What a difference. Straight away, I'm thinking, whoa, they care. Brilliant phraseology, if I can put those words together or even pronounce them. Um, absolutely. The bar is low. As you say, they're, they're expecting to not be surprised or delighted. And the fact that you pick up the phone can remove the sting, can you know drop, make people drop their anger levels and their frustration levels um, just because you picked up the phone, you, you bothered, you cared. So um, yeah, love it. Absolutely love it. You touched on earlier, Ian, um, you know, the importance of the choice of words um, and the sort of uh, construct of sentences and so on. Can you say more about that? It's thinking about the verbiage that you use, I think, and, and slowing conversations down a little bit to think about the way you phrase things and how it may be received. Because often the way you say something isn't how it's interpreted or received, particularly when you're, there's colloquialisms or you're dealing across region, you're dealing from one country to another. Um, and I don't think people inherently are, are that different in different countries. But what I've learned is that when you're dealing with someone in English, and that's not their native language, and they are more fluent than I am in theirs, whether it be Spanish, French, German, etc., but that they're not absolutely as fast as we are with it, to slow down and try and think about using words that make it clear what you mean. Because it's very easy, I'm purposely talking at a slower pace now, it's very easy to get excited, particularly in sales as well, when you know, when you know your subject, and to rattle things off when you're not realizing that. Now, a hint I'd give there, here's an easy one, in today's world that we're in, Right. So we may, you may be on a call with a customer. There may be multiple of you at each end. And if people aren't doing this, here's a, here's, here's a clue. You can help each other because when you're speaking, act, actively listening or judging the, the facial expression or body language of others is more difficult because your brain is thinking, what am I saying? And what am I going to say next? 
So I've done this for years with, with salespeople, and then I'll come on to what we do now, where I'd say to them, you know, if we're going to an important, if there's important meetings coming up, and there's four or five people, take some, let me or, or a technical person, you know, you may be able to handle the stuff yourself, but let's tag team. And the reason for that is, uh, and I've watched this, particularly if people are demonstrating or showing something, where you're demonstrating, because your brain is thinking, having to concentrate more. You know, unless it's absolute muscle memory in what you're showing the customer or demonstrating, your brain is thinking about what you're doing and is less observant of what's going on. So I've sat next to a salesperson before, and there's no fault of the salesperson here where they be, they've said something and they're showing and they're clicking on this. And they're there's a whole thing going on, and I'm I, my brain's not tied into that. So I've got more thinking capacity. That I'm not doing that right. I'm not rubbing my tummy and my head at the same time. I'm sat here observing, and I've stopped myself. Whoa, whoa, hang on a sec. So sorry, sorry, Sue, that, I noticed there that you both reacted there was something, was that, was that good or bad of what we just said or showed? The salesperson didn't even notice the reaction, but I noticed something. I can act as that, like tag team and wrestling, right? I'm on the side, I can, or, or, or it's your caddy on golf, right? I don't play golf, but they can actually, can I just step in there and advise? I, I, you might want to think about this here because you're too close to what's going on. Second set of eyes, that's another reason sometimes just to bring someone along can observe something and i've stopped the discussion and said what was it well we won't it worries us about that really okay what we've now got a different conversation going on that we'd have missed well, why, why what worried you about that ah okay no 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 so right so i think we've prospered you've misunderstood what right let's step back let's go back then and show that again and explain why i think i know what you're thinking but that's not what that was doing so I've picked up on a misunderstanding through observation that the person speaking totally missed. No fault theirs, but it's so. Now move it to what we're doing today. We're on Zoom calls, right, all the time, or or, or Google calls, or whatever. And often this, and this is something I've spoken about on a number of panels and whatever that I don't think people have tweaked to. So in a meeting, you you go and meet a customer. There's four of them, two of you, three of you, whatever, in a meeting room. But now we're doing it online. It's not that it's not that different, right? There is a totally different psychology, psychological aspect going on. So five faces of the customer on a screen online, five faces in a room. Firstly, doing what you're doing is going to be more stressful because you're observing 2D faces. Your brain is having to work harder. That's why you come off these calls in a day tired. I couldn't figure it out when this was started. And then I did some reading on this and the penny dropped when I read something because your brain to interpret that 2D face is working harder than if they're sat in front of you to do the same thing, but you don't consciously know it's happening. That's why you feel st stressed at the end of the day and tired, even though you haven't driven anywhere and had to park and everything. Why do I feel so tired? I've sat in my chair all day. The second bit is it's more difficult to feel what's going on because when you've got people in a room, you glance around, you'll glance out the window, they'll, they'll react to each other, they'll look at each other, okay? They'll whisper to each other, did you, did you think you'll see interactions between them? You'll get more clues in that 3D environment and that world, and your brain can handle it more looking around the room with peripheral vision. You can, and, and just a little bit of a look, you, you get it. On a camera with five people, you are going to miss every nuance coming up because you can't tell if they're concentrating on, you can't tell what they're looking at, you can't see that they've just glanced at a colleague as though there's a knowing look that, 
was that knowing look because they didn't like what they saw or whatever what you what what, what was it you spotted there then you're never going to see that because they're not looking at each other but you also don't know whether they're on communication together slack whatever and that's what i suggest to people is be aware that if you're if you've got two or three of your people on a call be on another communication method at the side because for example your colleague starts talking about something and you observe actually but the face in the body language i'm seeing this isn't what we're answering the wrong question we're answering the wrong question you can slack them say pause a second while i while i ask a question as opposed to interrupt you can you can still have communication going on that you couldn't have if you're in front of them so it's a different way of handling it, right? But you want the best outcome for, for the conversation. They're compensatory systems, aren't they? They're, they're allowing you to get some information. But I completely agree with you. I think this staring at a screen is exhausting. It's quite stressful for a lot of people to spend that time. And your brain is having to work extra hard because most people are quite expressionless on a call, on a video call. And so not only are we just not getting the body language, it's actually incredibly poor, right, in terms of interaction, quality of interaction, even if it was uh, nonverbal, you were much more aware of it in person, right, where you your body is reading it, you're getting a sense of a mood or a shift, you don't even need to have that person in your vision, but you can sense that they've shifted and, and something's changed. And you can respond to that. And we don't have that at all. It's a much poorer um, environment. And this is kind of to my question at the beginning, In was, you know, do we have to be much better at conversation? I think you've just explained, yes, we do. And we also have to a- adapt to the environment um, by having other ways of communicating between us as a team. Are we, you know, showing up at our best for, for the customer here? You've got to understand that when you go to meet a prospective customer or customer, you typically think about what happens. You'd meet them in reception, right? They'll come down and get you. You'll walk through the building. Well, their PA might, but, you know, often you'll walk through the building, have a chat with them. How you doing? God, yeah, the way, how'd you get here? Oh, it's a nightmare. Thanks for giving me the parking. There's, there's that warm-up piece, and then there's the warm-down piece at the end often, right, where they'll walk you down as well. There's other things go on, or someone brings coffee in the room. There's different respites and different, there's a different ebb and flow to the in-person meeting, which we're trying to replicate now electronically. Um, and you need to just think about that, that it's, it's you know, if the call goes on, it's a long call, and you're man- managing, don't feel bad about, you know, think about how many times have you said a long call, guys, do we all want to take a five-minute break and get a coffee and go to the toilet? I just offer that up to them. Because it's on a call, you just keep going, right? It, it's Well, we do. <laughs> you, yeah. you go into a different psyche. So it's thinking about how, how, do, I, how do we use, yes, we're in, a diff, we're in a different environment. How do I use this differently? What do I need to do differently? Think, give it some thought about how do I make the conversation and the engagement has as valuable as possible to both parties. Because if you do a demo, if it's a product where you demo, and ours is, we demo the product when we've got what they need. And Typically, we do it in a room, right? You go and meet them, you do it, and it's up on a screen, and you pause for a bit and look at them. And you see them in glorious 3D, full size. Well, when you do this on a screen share, if they are on there on video, they go even smaller. They go really, really small. So it's really even more difficult because the screen share's taken over for you to see any reaction. And the reaction isn't between them because they're in different locations. So it makes the whole interaction piece and, and, and 
reading, what should we do next? Should we stop? Was there a question we should ask? Interpreting the ebb and flow with the customer's input is difficult. So you've got to work even harder at it, be even more prepared. For sure. And I think we've still got a long way to go in terms of our meetings and and doing remote meetings and the protocol around that and developing ways where we can do that. And sometimes meetings need to be shorter uh, and, you know, less content shared perhaps in the meeting. And if they do need to be longer, then why not take a break and just, you know, as you would any other time say, look, you know, we'll go till half past and, uh, and then just see if we just need to take a quick break. That's possible too, right? Uh, that, that can refresh, that can give everyone a chance to connect you with the team and say, how's it going? What do we think we're, you know, how's this landing? Um, but also to allow for a little bit of a side check-in as well with our main contact potentially. I don't know, I'm throwing up some ideas just from listening to you. Here's, here's something in those instances. There's nothing wrong with having a pre-conversation. Right. Right. If you're going to, if you're going to get a group of people involved is what well, too often I've seen what happens is it gets arranged and then everyone just jumps on. Well, from the, from the client side, why not have a pre-call with them and have a conversation around this conversation, this call we're going to have with four of you and four of your colleagues. What we, we want to make it as productive as possible in the time that we have for you for you and your colleagues. What is it? What do you want to cover? What's the most important three things that you want to achieve from that? And I've even gone as far in the past with people prior to COVID and all this stuff saying, look, we're coming in to meet with you. You've got six people in the room. Would you mind, it, it often helps us to not waste your time to give the most to every individual. What are the top three things each individual in that room is going to want to take away from this meeting. Also, three things, because they won't all be the same. There'll be, there'll be some overlap. So it won't be if six people ate, there's 18 things. It might be there's nine, right, because there's overlap. But would you mind, could you, could you do that for us? Could you ask them and give us that list? Because then what we can do is we can focus on, we already know coming in, we're not finding out while we're going through it. We will focus to make sure we cover all of those things off in the most pertinent, timely fashion for you so everyone leaves that meeting with value. Right. That's again, it's pre preparation and it's not rocket science and it's not something you can do. And it gets you another conversation with that individual to show your professionalism. Who's going to say, oh, I think that's a rubbish idea. At worst, they're going to say, yeah, I don't I don't know if we want to do that because it might. We're not doing that to other parties. It'd be unfair. Or, yeah, um, well, I, I can tell you what they are now because I think I know what they are. And that individual then assumes they've got it and they may not have done. But the fact you ask the question, if nothing else shows professionalism, and sometimes you're going to get a goldmine of information and it lets you have a much stronger conversation with a group. Because with a group coming together, what I have witnessed is often the group is not in, uh, not in sync in the first place. They find things out. I've had rooms of people where they're disgusting and someone throws something out and they go, well, I thought, no, I thought you did it like us. No, our region does it differently. What? They're finding out stuff amongst themselves because often depending what the project is or what the pro what, what it is you're engaged with them on, those individuals, you can't assume every week they all sit in a meeting together. They may not. They, some of them may not have been in a meeting with the others at all or for a year because they're different divisions for some reason. So how do you bring them together? Because I've watched chaos in a ring. I've learned the hard way where a load of people from the same company introduce, I've watched them introduce each other as they come in the meeting. They're coming to this meeting for this project to work together on this decision and they're introducing each other. They've never met before, right? So how how aligned are they 
therefore for your meeting. And if you're the first people they're meeting, even worse, because they're finding their feet together with you. Get them to do some pre-work for you, because the pre-work they do helps you do a better job together with them. So the conversation to be, do everything you can to ensure a conversation you're about to have is the most fruitful for both parties before you get there. Love that. And and it takes the risk out of some variables or unknowns or, you know, um, unexpected things, as you were saying, you know, you, people are meeting themselves, meeting each other for the first time or... I'll tell you an obvious one is you never know. You might find out, actually, it's the wrong meeting you don't want to go to because stuff comes out that you then have a different conversation. We say, thanks for all that information you've shared with me. Can we jump on a conversation and talk about it? Because I've got some concerns and it might be, here's 10 things and four of them are absolutely this this doesn't look like this is a project for us can i have a conversation about it and, and they they might at that point say oh no they were nice to have we didn't care or oh no we thought you did that and particularly in the old world where you might drive for two hours to get there better to find out then than, than in the meeting at the beginning when quickly you you feel very uncomfortable it didn't give you a good conversation anyway deal with it beforehand mm. Right, you're fulfilling the role of being that trusted advisor, right? That's either guiding them about how to pull the group of people together, sometimes even thinking about who they want on their side um, in those meetings, right? Or who are the influencing stakeholders who need to be present or, you know, the the potential obstacles that um, that need to be addressed for sure. I, I feel like we have to do this conversation again. I, I think a lot of your... Um, a lot of your suggested phrases and, and the way you've demonstrated how you manoeuvre and, and move the conversation forward um, is really insightful and valuable. Um, but to wrap up, because all good things come to an end, <laughs> for now anyway, um, what would be one key message about having better conversations that you'd like to leave with listeners? I think the big one, and it's we've already discussed it, is understand that a communication it's not a conversation and identify in your own mind, find yourself stopping yourself when you think I'm about to do a communication. Should this, you know, every time if you can just think, should this be a conversation? And if your brain immediately says, yeah, it should, you know, usually they fall into the one bucket or the other so easily. And the minute, yes, it should, then make it a conversation and you'll get much more value out of your interactions. Brilliant. Thank you so much, Ian. It's been an absolute pleasure to have you on today. Thank you. I hope you enjoyed today's episode of Better Conversations with me, Siham Cyrene. And if you did, leaving me a lovely review and rating on Apple Podcast will help me reach more listeners who want to have better conversations at work and in their private lives. You can check out show notes at betterconversations.co forward slash podcast. If you're a regular subscriber, brilliant, lovely to have you back. And if this is your first time, hit subscribe, leave a review and tell a friend. A screenshot and an Instagram story would be going above and beyond. And I would be very grateful. Please tag me at Siham Cyrene, all one word, S-E-H-A-A-M-C-Y-R-E-N-E. And of course, I'll tag you right back. So... What would you like to hear my future guests and I talk about? Or perhaps you would like to be my guest because you've got a strong point of view that you'd like to share or kick about with me on the podcast. Drop me a note, podcast at betterconversations.co. I'd love to hear from you. 
And if you are a leader who knows you could achieve so much more in your career and be way more influential by having better conversations and stronger relationships, then do consider enrolling for my 12-week online course, Leaders Who Coach. You'll find the curriculum, videos, and a whole load more at leaderswhocoach.today. Thanks for listening. I'm Siham Sirene, and this has been a better conversation.